Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Excited today to have a friend who I worked with for a little while at Kaplan Test Prep. He's now moved on to Udemy, where he's doing some interesting work as the head of engineering and product there. We have Karthik Gunasekaran here. Karthik, welcome to Trending in Education. Hey, thank you, Mike. Yeah, glad to be uh, on your podcast. Yeah, and I've seen you've been out on a couple other uh, shows out there in the world, which is fun. It's a it's a fun way to get ideas out into the world. And, you know, I frequently learn by having conversation, but it frequently helps me solidify what I'm thinking. And hopefully our listeners can come along for the ride. We always like to begin by getting our guests to tell us their origin story. You know, what got you to this point in your professional life? Can you share with us what your hero's tale is to this point? Yeah, sure. I mean, where do I start? My background is in engineering. Like, um, started my career as an engineer, you know, I was this uh, kid uh, who used to, uh, you know, get all these new electronic ties and then I used to rip them apart and then try putting them together. Most of the time I just failed. So that's probably how I got my passion towards engineering, uh, which is why I pursued my engineering degree. And right after engineering, you know, went into the energy industry that I was working on, automation and all these new technology. One of the good things about my, the first job that I had as an engineer was I was always working on new technologies. I was not really working on just the old, you know, technologies, just operationalize it, implement it, things like that. It was, I was working for Honeywell on their new building automation systems for the Butch Khalifa, the world's tallest building. Mm. So, you know, that was kind of exciting. And that's kind of what got me into technology more and more and innovation. You know, that's a passion. Yeah. So how do we solve new problems? I mean, for example, Butch Khalifa has like what, 169 or 180 floors kind of build an entirely new elevator system. You're going to account for the swing of the building. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and it has to be really, really fast. Otherwise, you're going to spend like 45 minutes going to the 180 first. So these are all like new problems to solve. And that's kind of what got me excited in the engineering world. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, what happened was, yeah, I mean, we are building these new technologies, but how do we commercialize them? How do we you know build a business upon it? How do we scale these new technologies that got you know, got me into the business side of things. Like, how do we make a business, a new technology? How do we apply them in real world and make people's lives better? Which, you know, motivated me to pursue my MBA. And that's uh, one of the reasons why I pursued my MBA after engineering degree. And business school, I, I was just being impatient. I just wanted to, you know, get into that real action right away as I was going in school. So, you know, I, 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 I was... I was advising at the entrepreneurial center at the university and came across, you know, the founders of a mobile tech company. And I joined them as the fourth guy in that company. It was a mobile tech company. We were the first ones to build these mobile apps for test prep education. Yep. We scaled the company, raised a, you know, a good amount of money. We raised like, I think, 20 to $25 million in that uh, span of four years, scaled the company. And then, you know, a lot of, a lot of, lessons as part of that startup like you know you make a lot of mistakes you critical errors that could cost the company I mean, that was my, that was our first venture so it, it was a decent success but you know of course it's not gonna not all companies are gonna become the scale of a facebook or a udp or you know all the other uh, big ones so it was a very good learning experience my first entrepreneurial experience and that was a good port to ride you know was getting the product and innovations there and scale the teams 
had some good success and then exited from my first startup to head the product division at ACT, the online assessment company. Yeah. And that was an, you know, it was a very old school company trying to transform itself like many other tech organizations because they were too late to all the new technologies. So part of my role was to implement new technologies, things like online assessments, online proctoring, mm -hmm. using AI, ML, you know, make sure assessment administered with integrity. Mm -hmm. So this, there's a cool problem to solve that, that went out for a few years. And then that's where, the, then moved on to Kaplan to get the product innovation team, which is where I uh, got the opportunity to work with Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Along the listeners. So that was a good one. Kaplan, Kaplan, at Kaplan, we were trying to solve the problem of online digital key banks. So one of my first initiatives was to, how do we leverage now again, newer technologies and newer modes of uh, delivering content? Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, the products and one of the first things I did was to bring in this 3D companion to medical education which is like really really awesome high quality 3D visualization of your entire human anatomy yeah. imagine a med student learning that along with additional Cuban yeah, this is pre pre meta. This is not using an Oculus yet, but this that yeah this exactly yeah same same strand of innovation and applying it to a learning context. Exactly. Yeah. But the, the, the VR and Oculus Rift thing was on the product roadmap. Yeah. The ultimate vision was to um, be a continuous edtech product, like the digital Q banks help you get to med school mm -hmm. and in your third and fourth year or as you go into fellowship and surgery and all of that, the product lives on with you and yeah. uh, train you in multiple skills. And at one point we were thinking of, you know, performing surgeries sure. uh, on that 3D model using yeah. Microsoft HoloLens yeah. uh, and, you know, the professors, uh, kind of getting their reporting on their side and students mm -hmm. learning better. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was the idea. Mm -hmm. um, that was the ultimate vision. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was there in Kaplan for a few years and then moved on to uh, Udemy here, you know, working on one of the fastest growing SaaS-based platform in the world, heading the products engineering team specifically for iOS and Android. Got it. Which is, we are betting that this is going to be the future because the, the desktop is where bulk of the learning takes place, but it, it is high time that got to be building it, building the same experience on all the other numerous devices that are be getting into the market, right? So, yeah. And iOS, Android, Amazon's platform, or, mm -hmm. or any other, I think it's going to be quite important to scale the same experience. Yeah, your learning experience is something you carry with you. And as a consumer, you expect to be able to, to switch modes based on whichever affordances make the yeah. most sense for you in those contexts. And uh, folks may not be fully up to speed with Udemy and its scale and what it's been up to. It's been around for a little while as a platform through which there's a marketplace where you can buy access or, or gain access to uh, educational products. Can you catch folks up on what Udemy is and, and a little bit of its background? Sure. Yeah. Udemy has been a startup for a little more than 10 years. We went public just last year in October after 10 years of, you know, functioning as a startup. And that's, um, when, uh, that's when I saw, I don't think you technically rang the bell. <laughs> yeah, the, but, the, but the, you were you were with the the collective who were ringing the bell. So good on you. Exactly. That's, a, that's good to have life goals. That's one that I, I wouldn't mind getting in on at some point. 
Yeah, yeah, it was like reading the bell at, uh, at NASDAQ. That's mm-hmm. where we went uh, public. But yeah, that, that was a cool experience. I mean, the company, you know, after functioning as a startup for 10 years and, you know, disrupting the entire tech industry, you know, finally we got the opportunity to go public. It was um, just good timing on my part, like, you know, join and then public into uh, this. It's, a, it's kind of like a different time to be, like 10 years of, as a startup and, you know, just entering into, into becoming a publicly traded company. This comes with, like they say, you know, all those powers come with a lot of responsibility. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't be that uh, teenager anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different all game altogether. But, but yeah, the, the, what Udemy does. So Udemy is probably one of the only marketplaces in the tech industry. I mean, there might be a couple of others, but Udemy is by far arguably the largest uh, marketplace for online education. The goal of this platform is that we want to democratize education and make it accessible to all. And that's the goal. We don't want to, it shouldn't be like, you know, people should be spending all those exorbitant amount of money to, you know, gain knowledge in anything. Um, You want to learn something about the Web 3.0 or blockchain or Ethereum cryptocurrencies. You don't necessarily have to, you know, spend an expensive certification education and go through that. And then you halfway through, you realize, okay, this is not for me, but then I can't eject because I've already spent a few thousand dollars from my pocket. I better just complete it. So rather you to be helps with that because <clears throat> in our marketplace, anybody with good knowledge or expertise in something can create the content and sell it to any of the learners. Yeah. So it's like all of a sudden, like you can run a course on how to start a podcast, right? Put it out there, and that course is accessible to the entire globe now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one of the ways we democratize education. And I do hear that you are growing, you are wonderful to work with, and you are hiring. So could you give us a quick update on how you're thinking about growth and the types of roles that might be opening up? Yeah, sure. Udemy is in a rapid growth phase. We are literally looking to double the company at uh, this stage. We are hiring a lot of engineers, product folks, designer, marketing folks across the spectrum. And I would highly recommend uh, guys checking out the website. We are remote friendly and a lot of uh, new opportunities are opening up. And for the content creators too, which is another trend that we've been looking at a lot more lately, the, the passion economy, the yep. creator economy, where people are making things in, and some of those things include courses. And then if they want to make that course available to the universe, Udemy is the type of platform that people use to, to get that piece together. So there's two sides yep. to your ecosystem. There's more, there's actually three sides. If you think about the organizations that might also plug into it, but at the end of the day, it's, it's providing a platform that allows the creators to make things that can help the learners learn. And interestingly, to your point, you know, 10 years is a relatively long time as a startup. But then at the same time, we went through this massive, we're still in the midst of this massive transformation over the last two years, which happens to be coinciding with you going public and and also with you being hired in your role. You know, this is all coming together at this like inflection point where the world is changing. Any thoughts on, on that timing and the impact of the pandemic and, and how it's making us think about learning and thinking about using platforms like Udemy? 
Yeah, you know, when I first got into the edtech world, which was back in 2012, I've always wondered, the edtech world collectively put together globally is like a $4 trillion market. That's a massive market. And yet, at that time, you think about it, there weren't any of these uh, edtech unicorns. Probably the biggest company was, what, Pearson? Like yeah. $12 billion valuation. And there was no clear dominant player taking over with that $4 market after it was highly dispersed and there wasn't much consolidation. As an engineer, it kind of was a boring industry. There were a lot of problems to be solved, a lot of bureaucracy stopping mm-hmm. innovation to kick in, etc. But I think slowly towards, just before the pandemic was probably when people started realizing there was a lot of venture capital money pouring in, looking at the opportunity. I mean, you know, we have been launching private uh, space companies and rockets, and then we're still in the classroom with the same, you know, 20, 30 students in the classroom with the teacher model of education and not really disrupted much there. So it was probably that caught people's attention. Like, you got to change that, right? Yeah. I, I, I kind of uh, put this even in uh, the Jetsons. You watch the Jetsons trailer? Yeah. You know, it's like futuristic, like all these sky cities and, yeah. uh, you know, and everybody is, you know, in their flying cars. Yeah. Everything is futuristic. And then when he drops his son to the to school, he, you know, drops from that flying car into the tube and gets into the class and then goes back to the same model. There is a blackboard right behind the yeah. teacher. And then there is a desk and that shows how change averse education, even in our imagination, was. That, yeah. So yeah. I think I think those are all kind of culminating just before the pandemic. And like people thought, yeah, I think a lot of money needs to go in because we need to disrupt this. A lot of opportunity to change for the good. But I think it was just uh, timing with the pandemic. Like the pandemic came over and said, okay, all those technologies you guys built just before the pandemic, let's put it to test. Is it really working? Or not? Right, right. right. And that kind of accelerated all the new changes. Uh, I don't know, a good five, 10 years of technological uh, changes that, you know, where, where like, and into that last two years alone yeah. and putting it to test. But again, now we are seeing some of the results. Many of those new innovations aren't really working and some are working. In terms of aren't really working, it's like, it's always a problem that we can build something that is technologically unique just for being cool or adopting all the new technologies. But is it really making a difference mm-hmm. to you as a person? Are you really learning something? Just right. because went through this mode of education. Is online learning really working? Keep ourselves crowded to the data and listen carefully and make those tweaks to the product, I guess. I think that's the phase we are in. So so obviously there's a lot of market opportunities to disrupt, consolidate. I feel like the next few years is gonna be a big opportunity for all these new tech unicorns to consolidate and you know, really figure out what is that formula to scale mm-hmm. rapidly, but at the same time, make sure population of the learners are actually learning. And right, right. It's not always filled of dreams. You know, sometimes you build it and if the market doesn't come, there is a point at which you got to let go of what's not working. At the same time, the market itself has been transformed. The way adults, especially the main focus of Udemy, I, I assume, is on adult right. learners. Although I, I imagine it, it's probably getting interesting to think about how rising generations are thinking about mobile learning and thinking about augmenting what they might get in a traditional K twelve environment. So I imagine 
you kind of run the gamut, but the, the way in which let's say adult learners in particular are thinking about the importance of learning, the importance of upskilling. We're in the midst of this great reshuffle, great resignation, great, whatever you want to call it. The, the dynamics of the, the workforce are changing. The way people are thinking about their careers are changing. The one broader theme that we talk about a lot on the show is, you know, education as a benefit, learning as a benefit, and also hiring learners with the right, you know, attitude and grit to continue to get better, continue to, you know, retool and reskill and upskill all of those trends around the who of learning, who are you delivering these products to and for? We've all gone through some awakening in the last couple of years and how that changed learner is now ready to engage with online learning, mobile learning, I think is significantly different than it was before. At the same time, we see a lot of backlash. We've called it the great snapback. Steve Jordans, who's been on the show, has called it the great snapback. There's going to be this tendency to just want to go back to what, what we were doing before. Any thoughts on the profile of the, the, the learners who you're serving? I know you have the product background. I'm sure you're listening to the data, listening to your, your audience. Any themes emerging, anything around the pandemic that started to pop? Yeah, so Udemy in general is focused on the adult learner. So the andragogy, you know, language is kind of what we are really focused on in our content. Right, andragogy as opposed to pedagogy. The learning centers will be uh, very happy to hear that. So andragogy is all the fundamental, the, the scaffolding that adult learners need as opposed to pedagogy, which is for younger learners. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but yeah, see, the, the upskilling and reskilling is the, the, the big problem that they're trying to solve for companies and the population in general to for new opportunities. So if you look at the profiles, we have a stage where the baby boomer population is almost at the retirement stage or, you know, or, or has already retired at that age. The Gen X is towards the, the last, just before the retirement. The millennials are, you know, have all got into the workforce and are getting into uh, climbing the ladders. And then there is also the Gen Zs entering the workforce market. So as, as you look at this profile, you should look at the, the kind of technologies that the millennials or the Gen Xs have been facing. Most of them have become outdated. Many of these new engineering skills, like someone learned C and C++ and using them. Right. There's something called Swift C on iOS uh, that came up. There is React and Angular 1 to 12. A little bit of uh, JavaScript still was still lingering. Still lingering, yeah, 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 exactly. And, there, and look at the entire architect, platform architecture, monolith architecture to all the microservices architecture with right. all, you know, all the AWS clouds and GCP clouds, all of them coming with their own teams. It's just, you know, it's just evolving. Mm -hmm. So in other words, all those population that is already in the workforce, whatever they learned in college or in the early stages of the career are already becoming redundant. So yeah. if they don't learn these newer skills, they're going to become, their skills are going to become outdated. So it's important that they are in tune with what is going on. So you look at what, what are the opportunities, what are the options? They're not going to go back to school. Or, you know, it's too expensive just to go back for another master's. Yeah. Parties in your 30s, parties, rather the best option is to learn as you work. Mm -hmm. And it's in the best interest of for all of the companies to provide this as a benefit because it's too expensive for companies to you know, be higher Correct. or on another role. Instead, it's better to 
groom that person to take on new responsibilities. That's the best option companies got. Yeah. So that's basically where you know companies like UDP are solving the problem because of the breadth of opportunity. One of the key highlights of the platform is the refresh rate courses. So for example, Udemy as a platform has about 185,000 courses on the platform today. And it's growing at the rate of like 2,000 courses every month. Wow. So you're having all these new courses pop in, all the instructors with their latest new technologies that they want to talk about. So any new technology that opens up, the likelihood of that showing up on Udemy is very, very high. Mm -hmm. So companies are obviously attracted to this because some high quality new skill courses is just going to pop up. When that kind of time to market exists, that is very appealing for companies. Right. Bill Taylor said, you know, are you learning as fast as the world is changing? Which was always, you know, something I thought about even 20 years ago. And you almost have to build the mindset of staying curious, staying hungry, you know, right. unlearning things that you thought were true, letting go of them, right. you know, same thing with jettisoning old skills. Ideally, there's a little bit of learning transfer, so you can take some of the fundamentals, but even sometimes you're entering into a different framework. It's, you know, the structure of scientific revolutions. It's a different paradigm. The one that's really emerging now, you mentioned it earlier, web 3.0, also blockchain technology, AR and VR. I imagine at, at Udemy, you can almost see trends emerge based on where the marketplace goes. The content providers begin to, to create content that's covering some of these new trends. And then, like you mentioned, some things take off and, you know, the, the invisible hand of the marketplace in some ways can point us to emergent trends around the types of skills and, and content areas that, that are heating up. Any impressions on, on that based on your experience, either looking at the data or just familiarizing yourself with uh, what Udemy is doing? Yeah. In terms of what are the most popular at the moment, it's really also driven by market courses, STEM courses, especially in engineering. Mm -hmm. These are like the hot stuff at the moment. That also, you know, the great resignation trend. Mm -hmm. It's just incredibly, incredibly difficult to find good engineers in the country because there's a shortage and there are so many engineering opportunities opening up. So even people with a non-STEM background would like to catch on to the opportunities available. Yeah. Uh, so would want to reskill, get some certification in engineering, mm -hmm. which is where Udemy is very, very helpful because you can earn those uh, on the certifications quite quickly. You can modularize content, what exactly you need, or be the stuff that you need for that particular job, mm -hmm. you know, help with the job market. So we do see a lot of that particular area. Languages is another popular sector there. Yeah, the, the, the one thing about Udemy is that you can name a course, it's probably out there. Yeah. Uh, because you have 185,000 plus courses, I can't even name what exactly. Yeah, there are there probably a good uh, uncategorized content too. You know, where things like how to brush your teeth. Like, right, know, right. You basically get something for everything. So. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then... The way in which people learn different types of skills might vary as well. So do you have any data on or positions around the learning science? I know, you know, when we were both at Kaplan, it's something we were both very much focused on. It's like, you want to make sure that technology is enabling the learning is actually solving a problem versus it may not always be the best 
fit. You know, you don't want to say one size fits all when it comes to learning. Are there any affordances around online learning or any ideas around learning science and uh, product design that you think are important to understand nowadays? I think so. The learning science and the product design collaboration is a big topic across the ethics spectrum in general because complete online education is definitely not doing the trick. It's not the one solution. Looking at learners' behavior, it's definitely a combination of a couple of different online education being one. Uh, but again, what exactly in online education? Is it just a recording of an instructor, you all the content, you watching a video or reading some course materials? There is definitely a lot more that we can do there. It's like bringing elements like assessments to evaluate person when you learn something. We've introduced new product types like labs, for example. Labs is basically a space where if you learn how to code, you use the lab platform to write your code and get evaluated in real time using some AI engine. Mm -hmm. And it'll probably tell you like, yeah, this is where you went wrong. This is probably where you to get some good, you know, real time feedback on how to do the code. So that's another really practical space. Boot camps, those are like newer things that we want to explore because it, it, it's ultimately, it's going to be a combination of all of this. Even with mobile learning, like, it's not going to be like completely mobile and learning opportunity to learn, any, learn, learn a particular thing. Like, it's definitely hard to code on a mobile phone. Right. Work, but we can learn theory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Coding is not going to be conducive to the environment. Yet, maybe there is a way to solve for it. But right. that thought exists, exists at the moment. So yeah. it's always a combination of these different modalities of delivering content and different content types. AR, VR is nothing like what we did at Kaplan is uh, definitely an example. Like that was definitely popular, like amongst the medical students. Like, but, you know, in, in my mind, it's more about using uh, technology judiciously in all of these and, and then try to scale is going to be quite important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then how about looking ahead and or looking outside of education as a, a sector? Anything more broadly happening in the world around you that's that's capturing your imagination these days? And then I think we're 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 shifting into the more future facing part of the conversations. This is when you can put on your VR headset and look into your virtual crystal ball or at least pretend to do that. But anything happening out in the world around us that that you're paying extra attention to you think our listeners might benefit from noticing and then i'd love to get a little more of your future casting yeah absolutely yeah i mean i'm definitely late to create my avatar on metaverse i probably gotta do that i don't want to be left behind I, i've heard it i've heard it also called the zuckerverse which is a whole nother <laughs> well yeah i mean i'm optimistic about future of metaverse i think that's that's probably a much needed thing. i think Humans like to, you know, find alternatives to the actual reality because I think we as humans tend to hide from reality in many ways. And metaverse is kind of like the option, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, and, 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 and the concept of metaverse is not something new. I mean, I remember about more than 20 years ago, there used to be a cartoon called Johnny Quest. Mm -hmm. And in Johnny Quest, they do go into this, I forgot what it was called, but Kind of the meta was the alternate universe that go in and try to hack your know, the mainframe computer systems because they can't really physically go in. So yeah, that's the one uh, conduit to all of that. So so they do all of those uh, stuff. I mean, 
but, but and even Ready Player One, right? The, the book mm-hmm. that uh, came out also stresses that. I, I think there is whenever is kind of like the human mind's tendency to escape reality. And so I, I, I think it's going to become big. Whenever with its own, think about the context of currency with cryptocurrencies applicable in the metaverse. Maybe this is where the cryptocurrency will actually get some real application or something. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, all transactions happening, metaverse and cryptos, bitcoins, whatever, having your own real estate, the metaverse. And right. that's going to mean something. The NFT artworks for your, you know, <laughs> as your hobby and, you know, stuff like that. I think that's one trend that I'm paying close attention to. Just, you know, listening to what the practical applications could be. That's one thing. Yeah. Uh, in general, the web 3.0 revolution that's picking up with more ownership over your data, privacy, transparency, deregulation for by the people. That's another interesting trend. That one in particular is one that I keep coming back to because the as a learning podcast, trying to understand trends and where the world is heading, it is interesting to start thinking about the trends around learning records and the idea that just like my public health will be carried, that history, that data will be carried with me as I go for, to different healthcare providers. If something similar could exist for learners, right? that need connecting with this emerging blockchain technology where, you know, could my learning record be something I can take with me and it isn't necessarily sitting on a big organization's central server, but instead there's a way for me to, to carry. And and that dovetails also with some of the ideas of credentialing and like federating that you actually do have those skills. Absolutely. There's a concept that I've discussed at ACT. It's called the education suitcase. It's kind of like a suitcase with all your records from kindergarten to, to you know, to, to grade. I, I think this concept is, uh, is, is kind of being piloted or in some shape or form in the Netherlands that's um, used. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have an online uh, record of all your educational achievements or you know, how you scored, what you learned, etc. from kindergarten. And as you grow, the the digital records become better and better and they want to access your educational suitcase. So probably a university would probably have given access to the to university to unlock and see what your learning has been, what are the things you've achieved and see, have a more holistic picture of you mm-hmm. rather than that just one single assessment that in high school that might determine what you end up choosing for a major. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that's the whole concept. And similarly, in the workforce too, they open the additional suitcase and then they find out what your learnings are, how what your achievements have been, and then make a hire. Yeah. You know, that was the concept. I feel like we are, as the tech world evolves, I think more and more, we are probably getting into that kind of a world where some framework gets built into all these online credentials that people get. Uh, their high school, you know, assessment scores, their, all their entire K-12 uh, education record and paint one big picture of who this person is rather than just those point, at, at a point in time assessments yeah. uh, that, that, that probably doesn't give you the whole picture. Yeah. I think it, when, in, when you want to access those kinds of records, I see that places like that where blockchains can play an important role mm-hmm. to, Make sure things are encoded and it's yours and yours alone. And you yeah. choose when to share it with others and there isn't any data leaks or hacks happening. 
So I think that that is immediately one of those key applications that I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I could imagine in the VR metaverse, I can then open up my suitcase and it'll have my finger paintings from, from kindergarten in there. You know, like it's, it's not beyond the pill. It's time to get innovative and, and to get creative. And uh, that's where, you know, as we're getting closer to conclusion, Karthik, any words of advice or recommendations for folks out there who are trying to chart their professional lives and understand what's new and emerging? You know, we'd like to talk about the future of work. You're someone who's worn several different hats. You've been able to navigate to a really interesting position that you're in now. Any advice to our listeners as far as, you know, recommendations around staying out ahead of where the world of work and the world of education are heading? My advice would be continuous learning is just here to stay. I think that is the one thing that's probably going to help us be successful as the years pass by. I, I think learning doesn't have to be just in one domain, like, you know, yeah, I want to be an engineer. I'm just only going to learn about engineering or I'm in products, you know, products. I think an eclectic mix of learning is going to be quite important too, both for our own sanity and also kind of connecting dots across different areas. Most creative uh, things come out when we have that eclectic mix and we can connect two different areas. You know, how, you know, origami, arts and technology engineering and technology, when they combine, that's how they were able to solve for the problem of unfolding satellites. Right. In space, it's origami-inspired folding techniques. Mm-hmm. You then, you know, it happens. It's, it, it, it's the, the applications can be endless when we have that eclectic mix of learning. And, but at the same time, you know, continuously keep learning new things, all of these to me. Yeah. I've heard it talk about like the, the T-shaped learner, you know, there's some areas where you can go deep, you know, for, right. and, and if those are engineering or digitally enabled or ahead of the curve in terms of the, the, the marketplace, the job marketplace, but then you also want to be able to play across. That's where you, you think more about the, the durable, you know, I, I no longer call them soft skills. They're now being called more durable skills where you know, communication, creativity, you know, collaborative skills. And you're a great example of that where like you, you, you had the engineering background, but then you also, you broaden that with the MBA and then you've been able to apply that to different domains. And I imagine in some ways, even going back to your earlier days as an, an engineer, you're able to apply those learnings to the different contexts you've been in. So it's, it's not like you really fully let go of the previous context along the way. Once an engineer, always engineer, where you keep thinking uh, that even today, I'm, I don't manage the engineering. I don't get into the, into the details of how, what exactly the code uh, written or anything, but I think the overall architecture that can help us succeed or from product perspective, kind of keeping things in reality, but at the same time, giving the engineers a vision, a product vision of how inspiring the future could be yeah. and driving them. I think that is something that engineers to inspire and you know, get inspired by. Absolutely. Karthik Gunas-Sagarin, Head of Product and Engineering at Udemy. Karthik, really enjoyed having you on the show. Any concluding absolute final thoughts? Like I said, enjoy your learning, but make sure you always have fun. Awesome. Fantastic stuff. Thank you very much for joining us on Trending in Education. Hopefully our listeners got as much out of this conversation as I did. If folks want to check out 
Udemy, it's U-D-E-M-Y. The website is Udemy.com. It's also now available on NASDAQ for those who are curious. It's interesting insight also into the, the world of ed tech and where platform as a service and software as a service is heading in the world of education. Really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for the opportunity. And for our listeners, if you like what you're hearing, write us a review, share the good word. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.